You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that Well, today I do want to take a look at the practice squad, just get a little bit of a refresher about what's going on over there, and maybe see if we can have a 53 plus a 16-man practice squad. Um, the first thing that I actually think that I want to um, mention that I think is really important to realize about the practice squad is there has been a major change to the practice squad that started in 2020 with all the COVID stuff. And it changes a lot of things. Number one, we went from a 10-man practice squad to a 16-person practice squad. Think about what that means practically. There are 32 teams. 10 practice squad players, very easily, means 320 players getting stashed on the practice squad. That number in 2020 went up to 512. So there are 512 players that are on football teams now, as opposed to 320. That is a massive increase. But what does that mean? It means that the amount of really quality pieces that are floating around out there, not on football teams, plummets. The odds that there's somebody out there unclaimed that's very good plummets. And the odds that somebody actually gets stolen massively decreases not because because everybody still has to get waived but the reality is everybody's basically able to keep everybody that they want can you imagine if we only got to keep 10 and and we'll see that practically what that means but if you can only keep 10 i mean there's there's a lot of guys that are going to end up not on your practice squad that you really wish you had on your practice squad and so there's going to be more movement and mobility plus there's all kinds of rules about you know, prior to 2020, who you could even have on a practice squad. There, there are guys that you would love to have, but they're just ineligible. They've been in the NFL too long. Now you can pretty much, I mean, you literally can put anybody on your practice squad. There are just limitations, but even the limitations are nonsense. You can have veterans, but only six. Dude, you used to only be able to have 10, period. There's also a group called exception people. Now, I think what it used to be prior to 2020 is the exception group, which is and I don't even know if this changed, but as of right now, it's a player is eligible for an exception if he has two or fewer accrued seasons. And you can have no more than 10 of those players. Now, you can also have no more than 10 of the exception slash veterans. So you can't have like five veterans and 10 exception players. You can only have 10 total between the exception and the veteran. And only six of those larger, you know, whatever that larger group is, the non-standard practice squad people, can be veterans. But again, these are still massive numbers in comparison to what it used to be. So, you, I mean, there's almost no chance there's even really going to be any conflict here. Or, or I shouldn't say no chance, but it just they've made it so easy for you to retain pretty much anyone you want. So it's 16 players, 10 of which can be either in the exception group or the veteran group. And of that 10, only a maximum of six can be the veterans, which is just anybody. One of the other things I wanted to establish, I went back and looked at 10 years of practice squads and um, wanted to see if there are any hard and fast rules. I was kind of reading up on it a little bit. And one of the things that was mentioned, I don't know if it was this article or a different one, but it's like you have to have a quarterback, your third quarterback, 
You've got to have a uh, number nine and ten offensive lineman, which I mean assumes you have eight offensive linemen, I guess, but presumably like a couple offensive linemen, and you have to have a pass rusher, and then everything else is basically your best players. Um, five out of the last ten seasons, the Packers did not have a quarterback on their practice squad. In fact, I'm looking to see is there a single position that has always had um, somebody on it, and the answer is no. The closest I could find is actually defensive tackle. It was 2013 was the last time we didn't have a defensive tackle on there. Edge, there were three seasons we didn't have a single edge on there, and only one season we had two, depending on how you define it, I guess. That was last year. We also had two special teamers in 2021, so there's basically no rules. So the best thing that I can think is just get your best 16. So the first thing that I I think I want to do looking at some of these players, and again, a lot of this is going to depend who's on your 53. If they're not on your 53, then they're probably on your practice squad. But we're just going based on the 53 that I currently have, which hopefully is the one that's up to date. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the first thing to make things easy would be to just get rid of the pieces that you don't think we're going to keep. So for example, Nate McCrary can go, right? I don't think there's any chance he's a practice squad guy. Jadakus Bonds and Deuce Watts, I think, can go. Andre Miller, the tight end, can probably go. Marvin Pierre and Elijah Hamilton, who were just brought in recently, can probably go. Um, And then I think, you know, Broughton Hatcher may win the job, but either way, whoever the punter and long snapper are, I don't think we keep them on the practice squad. So... I don't have Broughton Hatcher winning, so I'm going to have the special teamers go bye-bye. So that leaves 27. I have an initial 16 here. I want to go through those and then kind of look at who's left out and talk about the sort of what is or isn't likely to happen. So here here are the 16 that I kind of pulled just kind of off the top just to get the ball rolling. Alex Magoo, the quarterback. Emmanuel Wilson and Lou Nichols. It's possible we have four running backs. It's very unlikely that Emmanuel Wilson or Lou Nichols go bye-bye. Here's the thing, though. I don't really see a scenario where Tyler Goodson isn't off of our team. The only way that that could happen is if we have four on the 53 and two on the practice squad, but I just don't think that's going to happen. We're not going to keep six running backs. I've kind of been saying this for a while, but I really think Tyler Goodson is just gone, and that kind of sucks because I like Tyler Goodson. I think he's a good running back. But honestly, what he brings as a runner, how much has that been replaced in terms of at least our excitement or optimism by Emmanuel Wilson? And Emmanuel Wilson has a better build anyways, you know, by NFL and especially Green Bay Packers, Brian Gutekunst standards. So either way, I think he's the odd man out. And this injury has really decimated his chances. Um, I did put Henry Pearson, certainly debatable, but as maybe the only true fullback on the team, because, you know, Josiah is kind of a questionable thing. If they really want to explore that, I think it could be an interesting thing to explore. Now, and you also have to understand, some of these guys could be put on PUP or IR or whatever the case as, as additional means of retaining them, but I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing that now. As news comes in about those things, we can kind of readjust, you know. Um, the only wide receiver that I have is Grant DeBose. That leaves Bo Melton and Cody Crest in no man's land, and I think both of them, the reason I didn't delete them, both of them could potentially, you could argue, be on the 53. But remember, we're already keeping six, and you got to kind of think of this and the practice squad as a full roster. How many total wide receivers are we going to keep? This would be seven with Grant DeBose. Are we going to have eight or nine? 
Uh, I don't have any tight ends because I have Austin Allen on the team. Now, if we go and find a free agent tight end, I think Austin Allen does make the practice squad. Offensive line, Caleb Jones is obvious. Luke Tenuta, I'm interested to see about injuries, but I think they would end up retaining him if they could. And I actually did put James Empey, but I meant to take him off, but whatever. Empey is, is an option. There's also Telfort, DeLance, and Schneider that I think you can make a case for. At defensive tackle, I decided to grab Slayton and Lawan just because I, I kind of like a lot of these guys, including Antonio Moultrie, but it probably isn't going to be two of them. Might not even be one of them, although I do think because we're kind of light, it led me to want to have more on the practice squad. Maybe that just means one, I don't know, but again, we are kind of light there. Um, for edge, again, most people have Brenton Cox on the 53. I don't. So I have Cox and Keyshawn Banks on the practice squad. I think either way, Keyshawn Banks is probably going to be there. And obviously, Kenneth Odomegwu is going to be on the practice squad, but he doesn't count toward the 16. At linebacker, I have us keeping Tariq Carpenter. I mean, he's been somewhat of a disaster, but I think the Packers would like to be able to retain him if possible. I don't think he's going to get um, picked up anywhere else. It is possible, though, the Packers just say, you know what, we're kind of over this experiment with Tariq. We tried it. We tried to move him to linebacker to see if he could do it. It didn't really work out. On the other hand, though, he was in kind of an unfair, not really unfair, but an unfortunate situation with the amount of safeties and the amount of linebackers. I mean, they, they pushed him to linebacker probably in part because they realized we have so many safeties that are competing and, and Tariq is not going to be one of those guys. And then you have linebackers, and really there's four solid linebackers there. And two of them are like really good special teamers. So there's no way for him to compete anywhere here. It doesn't mean they don't think there's any chance for development, especially if they do think he's going to be a better linebacker and actually want to develop him as a linebacker. Then, then you got to kind of reset the clock on him, if that's a legitimate thing, as opposed to just a desperation Hail Mary swing. So I don't know, and, and I don't think Jimmy Phillips, I should probably just delete him. I don't think he's on the practice squad. So it's probably either Tariq or just nobody. And then at corner, I have Keandre Thomas and William Hooper. I think Keandre has shown some stuff in the past. Again, maybe they just decided to move on because he didn't really show anything this year. And William Hooper was really impressive, but, but you know he's way down the depth chart. But I do think as impressive as he was, you want to kind of retain him and just see if there's anything there. Maybe you can develop him for, for next year. And then I did put Shamar Jean Charles on here, which maybe isn't going to be a thing. He may be another one that they say, say la vie to. You know, usually if you have a, a drafted player, and, and this is probably my thinking based on the old rules, which are more flexible now. But usually when you have a guy that's kind of a late round guy that hasn't super panned out, has been on the 53, it just seems like you don't really go backwards to a practice squad. It's kind of like, if you can't make the 53, we're just going to move on from you. But with nobody really behind him, it's not like there's somebody else we want to, to watch. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I could see him being let go. But anyways, of this group, I think the ones that stand out would be the wide receivers, Bo Melton and Cody Crest. Some of the offensive linemen, but I'm not sure. I think a lot of guys have shown things in different ways. I also think Empey, there's a good chance he's not on the practice squad. Um, and then the other guy that stands out is Benny Sapp, actually. Safety that got the, the game ceiling victory. I think I am going to take off Jason Lawan. He was pretty terrible this year, and he only he really didn't play very much. Slayton did, though, so I, I think I'll swap out Lawan and Benny Sapp. I think a few people to delete. I'm going to delete Tyler Goodson. Cody Crest, I don't think... I know he showed up in a couple instances, but I mean he legitimately played like seven snaps the entire preseason and was not used on special teams at all. 
I'm also going to get rid of Kadeem Telfort. He was our lowest graded offensive lineman through the entire preseason. He was kind of terrible. I'm going to get rid of Jason Lawan. He didn't hardly play, and he was really, really bad. I'm going to get rid of Aaron Mosby. Again, really bad, and I just think we have way too many. I mean, we've we've got seven, eight guys, basically, including Kenneth, that I think are basically locked to either be 53 or practice squad. There's just no way. And I don't necessarily know, but I, I think I'm going to dump um, Tyrell Ford. Corner. The fact that I have to specify that probably makes sense. So that leaves just one, two, three, four, five guys that are going to be left off that are question marks. Bo Melton, I think you can make a case for him. They used him a decent amount on special teams. He graded out well on special teams. I thought he did great in practice when we got to see him. But again, he's undersized, which Gutekunst doesn't like, and he's been injured a lot. Gene DeLance graded out well, but he's been injured. I think he played in one game. Cole Schneider graded out actually quite well, but just not quite as well as James Empey did. I mean, they both had really good pass blocking grades. Empey just had a better run blocking grade. They played about the same amount of snaps. And Empey has kind of been the guy that stepped in more so than I've seen Cole Schneider. Um, Moultrie, probably one of the more unlikely that's left over. And again, I kind of feel like Slayton is more of the shoe-in. That's not to say that we couldn't have two, but there's also a chance that Jonathan Ford gets sent down to the practice squad. And I, I think if we decided to, he would survive. The question I have, though, is what if they decide to move on from Jonathan Ford, period? Then would it make sense to have Slayton and Moultrie on the practice squad just to be safe? I don't know. The other relatively unlikely would be Jimmy Phillips. But if again, if they decide to move on from Tariq, I think Jimmy Phillips actually has a pretty good chance of being on the practice squad. And then of the guys that I have on the practice squad that are maybe somewhat iffy, Henry Pearson... I think Empey and Tenuta are both a little bit kind of iffy in my mind. Uh, Tariq, Shamar, Keandre, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to leave it because I can hem and haw on this for a while. But this is essentially how I see it. So there, there's really 21 guys that I think you can make a case for for the 16-man practice squad, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and again, Kenneth is going to be added and, and we'll have 17 slots. But in my mind, there's 21. There's Magoo, Wilson, and Nichols. Henry Pearson, Bo Melton and Grant DeBose, Caleb Jones, Gene DeLance, James Empey, Cole Schneider, Luke Tenuta, Antonio Moultrie and Chris Slayton, Brenton Cox, Keyshawn Banks, Kenneth Odomegwu, Jimmy Phillips, Tariq Carpenter, Keandre Thomas, William Hooper, Shamar Jean Charles, and Benny Sapp. That's kind of where I'm at. And again, this all depends on the 53, right? There's safeties. There, I mean, Benny Sapp might be in trouble if, I mean, if Anthony Johnson or you know, I, I don't even know who else. I mean, maybe Traverius Moore. I just feel like if 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 Moore or Owens doesn't make, I just feel like they just get let go. They're not going to go to the practice squad. I mean, they'll probably because they'll also find jobs elsewhere. But, I mean, Ford might end up on the practice squad. Austin Allen. You know, again, I have him on the 53, but if he's not, he could be practice squad. Even Samori Ture. I mean, again, it's unlikely. Probably more likely to either trade him or just, you know, cut him and let him go find a job somewhere if you didn't want him. But, you know, if he doesn't make the 53, it's a possibility. Patrick Taylor, possibly. Especially if we just roll with two, then not. And, and that's kind of the issue with it. You say, well, we're just going to have two running backs. Okay, so are we going to have three running backs on the practice squad? And if not, who's gone? Are we going to cut Patrick Taylor, the guy that the Packers clearly view as the next best running back? I don't think so. Are we going to let Emmanuel Wilson walk? I'd be a little bit surprised, but he would probably be highest on the list unless they feel like they saw all they needed to see with Lou Nichols in the five snaps that he got this year. 
I think doing this practice squad thing has made it even more likely in my mind that Patrick Taylor will be on the 53 because I think there's five that they want to retain and I don't think three of them are going on the practice squad. That just feels silly to me. Anyways, why don't we take a quick break? Uh, We'll come back and take a look at some of the PFF grades from the third preseason game. And then I'll probably wrap it up for the day. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, third and final preseason game, and what does it mean for what's going to happen? By the way, Matt LaFleur spoke to the media, made a comment about he doesn't anticipate anything happening until Tuesday. I don't exactly understand why that would be. Maybe it just has to do with um, really wanting to make sure that we, we take as much time as possible to make sure we have things kind of finalized and how we want to do things. Maybe that's just a time frame that they've given themselves. I don't know. I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know what it is. But anyways, let's uh, start going through it here. The good grades on offense, there were seven of them. The highest was Jadakiss Bonds. Do I think that changes anything? No, I don't. Maybe, maybe he fought his way onto the practice squad. I don't know. Second highest is Austin Allen. I don't want to read too much into that, but that is fantastic for him. It really is, because we need another tight end. We need a guy to step up in that. And by the way, he tied for number one with Jadakus Bonds at a 79.6 grade. And even better, at least in my estimation, a lot of people will disagree, his receiving grade really wasn't very good. Where he excelled was his run blocking, which is what he spent most of his time uh, time doing. 17 of his 22 reps were as a run blocker, and he had a 77.6 run blocking grade. So, um, I mean, I was hesitant to put him on to begin with, and, and more or less feeling like I just want to have some kind of a placekeeper there. Maybe it ends up being somebody else. But giving the Packers some level of comfort that they can maybe develop him or put him into that role. I mean, he's got the, the, the build and body type for it. He's a big dude. You know, you kind of hope he can be, if nothing else, sort of a man mover, and he, he did a good job with that. Um, third is Alex Magoo. Changes nothing. Fourth highest is Jordan Love. Love to see it. I mean, that's a clean sweep, man. That's three for three for Jordan Love. I mean, it, honestly, I'd have to go back and look. I don't know how many others had that on the entire team. 75.6, 86.9, 76.1. Let me look right now. 
Rashid did not. DeGuara did not. Zach Tom did not. He had a 39 PFF grade week two. Uh, Alex Magoo did not. He had a 28 grade. Um, Austin Allen had a 46. Jadakus Bonds only had the one good game. Shamar Jean Charles had one bad game. Jonathan Ford had one bad game. I'm just going through everybody that had a 70. Uh, Kenny Clark did technically have a clean sweep, but he only played one game, so that doesn't count. TJ Slayton had one bad game. Carrington Valentine had one bad game. Um, Kingsley had the sweep. Quay Walker, week one was a 65. I'm looking at 70 and above. Benny Sapp was close. He had a 68. Corey Ballantyne only played two, and he had a 60. Keyshawn Banks is close enough, man. That's a 69.9. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call that good. Eric Wilson, no. Lucas Van Ness, uh, week one was a 40, but after that was a 75.8 and an 83.8. I mean, that's a heck of a jump for him. That's fantastic. Brenton Cox only had the one good game. Tyrell Ford only played two and had one good game. Marvin Pierre only had the one good game. So Keyshawn Banks, Kingsley Anigbari, and Jordan Love are the only three. And technically, it's Jordan Love and Kingsley Anigbari. And interestingly enough, uh, Jordan Love ended the preseason as the fifth highest graded quarterback. Aiden O'Connell was number one. Pat Mahomes was number two. Blaine Gabbert, three. Josh Allen, four. Jordan Love, five. Um, and he was actually the highest graded rushing quarterback in the entire preseason. He had an 87.3 rushing grade. And I've, I've said this before, if you actually look at PFF's rushing grades, it's not always the guys that are really fast. There are guys who are really not very fast that end up with fantastic rushing grades. Because it's not just all about that one breakaway run. It's about efficiency a lot of the time. Knowing when to run. A lot of these guys are super fast. They scramble around for 10 seconds and get tackled for a 10-yard sack. Then they get a bad rushing grade, and it's like, you, PFF is so stupid. They're stupid. He's a great runner. Okay, shall we continue? After Jordan Love, we have Zach Tom back in action, 75.1. Josiah DeGuara, 73.1. Rasheed Walker, again, a great day. He had a 72. Of the guys that had uh, not super great days, and I, this is always tough because there's so many guys below a 60, but 50 is just kind of bare. So I usually just go below 55. That's just kind of what I've decided to do. Cole Schneider, 53. Emmanuel Wilson, gut punch, 52. Tucker Craft, 52. Another, an, an actual gut punch, because Emmanuel Wilson, let's be honest, doesn't necessarily factor into our 2023 or future plans. No offense. Tucker Craft should. Um, that sucks. Deuce Watts, 51. Royce Newman, just, just punching me in the face over and over again. I've been saying into this microphone, he's not going anywhere. They're not cutting Royce Newman. It's not going to happen. And I feel like Royce is arguing with me even more than the fans are. Like, Royce, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing on your behalf, dude. Why are you mad at me? Why do you freaking hate me, man? Why has it got to be personal? Anyways, with that said, we'll get into the specific blocking grades and everything else. He had an 83.8 pass blocking grade, a 53.5 run blocking grade, which actually isn't that bad. Um, I'm... I'm jumping the gun but it's it's in and actually both of his games where he graded out well that's not really true week one but in both of the games where he had bad grades he had two penalties in those games the the four penalties has been one of the biggest blights for him this entire time but his pass blocking grades were 56.9 week one that sucks but then it was 79 and then 84 he's graded out fine as a pass blocker 
The run blocking isn't the best. It never has been. He's a Packers offensive lineman. What do you expect? And then the really low grades, again, has to do with the penalties, which aren't good. I'm not saying that that makes it okay. But, you know, if you're an offensive lineman that can prove you're a, a pretty decent pass blocker, I'll, I'll stand by it. But but I swear, man, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to hold my ground on this, and I see things like that, and I'm like, oh, cool, you're the fourth lowest graded guy. That's great. Thank you. Dre Miller, 50.2, changes nothing. Jaden Reed, 49.8, kicking the teeth. And then Gene DeLance, 33.7. He is the only one that had a really bad day for the Packers offense. I'll just really quickly read in order the rest of the guys. This is from just in the 60s and high 50s, from best to worst. It goes Cody Crest, John Runyon, Patrick Taylor, Sean Ryan, Luke Musgrave, Samori Turi, Sean Clifford, Nate McCrary, Kadeem Telford, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, Malik Heath, Caleb Jones, Christian Watson, James Empey, A.J. Dillon, Yash Nyman, Grant DeBose, that's it. Do something a little bit different today. Let's do just jump to the defense, and then we'll get into the, the nitty-gritty. There were a lot of good on de- defense, and I'm kind of surprised by that. Maybe I shouldn't be when you look at the score. A lot of good. We had uh, 15 players with 70 or higher grades. Starting from the top, Marvin Pierre, 90 grade. Now, some people are overreacting to this when I posted it on Twitter. Like, could it be? The guy played three snaps. So... We don't need to overreact to that. Then it's Tyrell Ford. You can overreact to that if you want. He played 16 snaps. I'm not going to. Maybe they've been... Let, let, let's see what he's done this entire time, just, just for context here. He didn't play in week two. He did in week one. Had a 60 grade. Um, Three targets, zero receptions in this game. One pass breakup, 39.6. I'm I'm trying to see if there's even an outside chance at a practice squad spot, and I just I don't see it. I really don't. I I I I don't see that as a thing. But we'll see. Then the other guy that that is making it personal is, is the third highest graded defender, who is Brenton Cox. Now I knew he had a good day. This grade doesn't really surprise me. Um, talked about it before. I, it 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 did get to the point where I'm sitting there watching. Not that I really care about wins and losses, but when it gets down to the wire, you want the defense to come out on top and, and make a play. And I, I remember sitting there saying, I want Keyshawn Banks and Brenton Cox. I mean, those are clearly, assuming the starters are are off the are are done, those are the two guys that are that are the playmakers. I mean, it felt like back in the day with Sidarius and Preston, where you just know that third down's coming and those guys are gonna make a play. So Here's here's where I'm at with Brenton Cox. I expect to be wrong on the issue, but I'm going to hold my ground, mostly because I'm kind of just testing out the thought process behind it. I have a specific thought process that keeps Brenton Cox off of the list, although even that is being challenged at this point, considering how good of a job he did. But just the... Well, there's two big things working against me. Number one is the amount of people that have Brenton Cox on the 53. And although consensus doesn't necessarily mean anything, I think more often than not, it does. Usually when everybody says something and I'm the one person saying the other thing, I'm probably going to end up being wrong, like especially in the draft. Like, I just don't see it. It's not going to happen. It's probably going to happen. The other thing is just the the baseline assumption of what do you, what, how do you build the, the 53? You get the best 53. That's the, the thing behind it. Now, my whole premise is the Brenton Cox thing has been overblown. I think the assumption that he was an early round pick that only fell to an undrafted free agent because off-the-field stuff, I do not think that's true. I could be wrong. I think he was probably more like a mid-round pick that fell to being an undrafted free agent. Again, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, just go look at what PFF has to say about him. He wasn't overly impressive. I know he was a big wig coming out of high school, 
but he wasn't massively imposing in the stat column, in the grade category, nothing. And then he comes here, and he did show out, but are we going to force him on the 53 because we trust that it's real? Or are we going to look at this and say, he did a good job against backups, that's nice, but he's not ready. He's not ready for big-time act, like, you know, because if he's on the 53, he's going to be on the field. There's going to be critical third downs where we got this guy out there, and he does he know what he's doing against, like, all pro tackles, not third-string guys that are getting cut and out of the league in five minutes. And not not the Bears, but eventually he'll find a he'll go up against a good tackle. You know, Atlanta I think has one or something. I don't know. So I don't know. I can't tell if I'm being rational by keeping him off or I'm being contrarian. <laughs> it's hard to tell sometimes. But I am going to hold my ground and just expect to be wrong and try to recalibrate from there. Fourth is Lucas Van Ness again. We already talked about him, but man, the jumps that he has taken has been really fantastic. He had an 83.3 pass rush grade. He had zero pressures. But again, that's why I kind of like the grades as opposed to the stats, because it kind of tells you a little bit more about what happened. And what happened was he dominated the person in front of him. But the biggest thing is to go from a 40 to a 76 to an 84. That's that's pretty remarkable. Now, yeah, it's preseason and he's going up against second string and all that stuff. But still, the the progress that he's already making, made, making, making, jeez, Mason, the progress is already very impressive. After Lucas Van Ness is Eric Wilson, 83, so we're still in the 80s. Keyshawn Banks again kills it, 83. Corey Ballantyne really needed him to step up, and he did, 82 with an 83 coverage grade. Benny Sapp, 81.1, great day. Quay Walker with an 80. Kingsley and Igbari with an 80. Carrington Valentine with a 79. TJ Slayton, 77. Kenny Clark, 76. Jonathan Ford, 75. Shamar Jean Charles, 72. Then um, all the sort of uh, tweeners here, we've got uh, Keandre Thomas, Darnell Savage, Jonathan Owens, Keyshawn Nixon, Isaiah McDuffie, Aaron Mosby, Rudy Ford, William Hooper, Jimmy Phillips, Chris Slayton, Antonio Moultrie, Kenneth Odomegwu, Colby Wooden, Anthony Johnson, and Carl Brooks. Yes, they both graded out low. No, I don't exactly know why. Seems like Wooden has had two solid weeks in a row. PFF has not been impressed. Brooks, last week they liked him, this week not so much. Devontae Wyatt is our first uh, quote-unquote bad grade, sub-55 with a 54.6. He has been, I mean, this entire offseason has been rough, or preseason anyways. 29, 58, and 54. He had a 37.9 PFF grade. You know what his preseason preseason grade was last year? 37.3. 37.3 and 37.9 have been his preseason grades. This is a freaking disaster. There have been a lot of reports about him looking good in training camp and whatnot, but, I mean, this is brutally bad. Limited snaps, sure, that's true. 29. But you would expect a little bit better from 29 snaps. I mean, one pressure on 20 pass rush reps. That's not good. 50 run defense grade, well, that's not good. 23 tackling grade. That's pretty brutal. I don't know what it's going to take, man, but this is not what we're hoping for from Devontae Wyatt. Uh, Preston Smith, Razul Douglas, Dallin Levitt, all in the low 50s. Tariq Carpenter, Innis Gaines, Justin Hollins, and Elijah Hamilton were all in the 40s. Tariq just digging that hole all the way down. Innis Gaines kind of putting me in a tough spot trying to put him on the 53. I still have him there, but, you know, this doesn't help. Otherwise, not a ton here. I mean, again, Dallin Levitt, 
another rough day. Does that change anything for me? No, it doesn't. All right, let's uh, let's run through some of the specifics here. I'm not going to go through everything. We don't need to see you know every single detailed statistic. Um, Jordan Love did face some more pressure. Kind of mixed reviews on this. He actually saw pressure on um, 28% of his dropbacks, which is by far the highest he's seen, at least in the preseason. There were five dropbacks, two attempts, one yard, uh, one completion, seven yards. He had a 47.6 passing grade, but a 73 overall grade because he had an 82 rushing grade. So the passing didn't go super well, but overall on the five attempts, he graded out well because of the production that he produced while under pressure. So again, it's positive and it's negative. The overall result was positive. So I guess that's positive. And we'll just have to leave it at that and see how things develop as we go along. I would I would love to be able to see um, something relatively positive. I don't mean like 70 passing grade, but you know, like a 55-60 would be acceptable. Be more than happy with that. But again, we'll see. Looking at the um, blocking, we'll go again by position here. Rashid Walker... 46 snaps at left tackle. That was the only place he played. 83.3 pass blocking grade, 62 run blocking grade. That's a perfect Packers performance. Caleb Jones played 22 snaps at left tackle, 10 at right tackle. He had a 61 pass blocking grade, a 57 run blocking grade. You know, underwhelming, but whatever. Kadeem Telfort played 10 snaps at left tackle only. Uh, basically an 80 pass blocking, 58 run blocking at left guard now, Elton Jenkins played all of his 28 snaps, 84 pass blocking grade, 54 run blocking, slightly below what you're looking for for Elton Jenkins as a run blocker, but again, elite pass blocking as always. Sean Ryan continues to uh, impress me, but this time in a more real sense. I had mentioned before that he impressed me because, you know, he was better than he was last year in week one, 63 run blocking and a 55 pass blocking. The next week, he had the exact same grade, 63.7 run blocking, but he upgraded to a 68 pass blocking. Then, almost an identical 62.8 run blocking, but an 84 pass blocking grade. So his run blocking went 63, 63, 63, which is an upgrade over last year, where he had a 60. But the pass blocking, first of all, in 2022, he had a 40 pass blocking grade. His first week was a 55, then a 68, then an 84. That's freaking fantastic. You want to talk about an underrated storyline? Yes, it's preseason. That's incredible. I mean, an 84 pass blocking grade and a 63 run blocking grade is what I expect from a guy like Elton Jenkins in the regular season. Now, this is preseason, but those are the kinds of grades you get from guys that you look at and say, this guy is going to be a really good player for a long time. It's just one game, but this is a far cry from this guy is useless and can't even get on the, on the football field at this point. Sean Ryan, 84 pass blocking, 53 run blocking, as I said. So the he had a lesser run blocking grade and two penalties kind of uh, separates the two. An interesting thing as we expand upon the Sean Ryan talk, I, I, I don't think Royce Newman's going bye-bye. I don't. However, with the trajectory of Royce Newman, which is he started on a real high, like elite rookie preseason, then he started... And he wasn't super great, but he's still a starter as a rookie. It's something to get excited about, right? Everybody thought this guy was going to be, I mean, he could be a tackle, like a starting tackle, blah, blah, blah. Now everybody wants him gone. That is a heck of a fall from grace for Royce Newman. And Sean Ryan has the opposite trajectory. He may not be now, but how long before Sean Ryan overtakes Royce Newman? At this rate, it's not going to take very long. 
Then you got Delance, who just had a you know, he just had his ten snaps. By the uh, by the way, Sean Ryan twenty two snaps at left guard, eighteen at right guard. Royce Newman eighteen and twenty two, so they just swapped. Gene Delance only took ten snaps all at left guard, and he graded out pretty much terribly across the board. Josh Myers had a Josh Myers kind of performance all at center, eighty one pass blocking grade, fifty seven run blocking grade. Um, they gave him a sixty two overall grade, which is a stupid grade because pass blocking is by far the most important thing. James Empey, uh, very similar grade, 82 pass blocking, 53 run blocking, uh, 22 of his reps came at center. He also played a little bit at right guard. Cole Schneider took 10 snaps at center only, 16 pass blocking grade, 56 run blocking grade. So that's that kind of puts the nail in the coffin there. I was kind of thinking, I mean, Empey's the guy. Maybe Schneider could be the guy, but I, I, I think we've kind of, especially when you look at the snap counts, I think we need to come off of that. John Runyon was primarily right guard, but he played some center snaps when we're looking at center. So uh, 10 at center, 28 at right guard. He had an 85 pass blocking grade and a 62 run blocking grade. That is John Runyon to a T. Zach Tom took eight snaps at center, 28 at right tackle, 84 pass blocking, 70 run blocking. Just a absolutely beautiful, probably, I think it's the only across the board good performance. Uh, DeGuaro was close as a blocker, 74 and 69. Um, left to talk about Yash Nyman, 81 pass blocking grade, which is great. He's in the fight of his life, but a 46 run blocking grade. That sucks. Um, I think that's it though. That's everybody on the offensive line. So the only offensive lineman with a good run blocking grade was Zach Tom. The others were Josiah Deguara, Jaden Reed, Austin Allen, and Christian Watson. Pass blocking, the only guys that didn't have good pass blocking grades were Caleb Jones and, uh, uh, Gene DeLance and Cole Schneider. Everybody else was 70s and 80s. Yash, Josh Myers, James Empey, Rasheed Walker, Zach Tom, Royce Newman, Sean Ryan, Elton Jenkins, and John Runyon, all in the 80s. And then uh, flipping back to defense, run defense, not surprisingly, uh, wasn't the highlight. Only five players with high grades, one of them being Kenny Clark, who didn't play very much. In fact, just three of his run defense uh, snaps were run defense. But he had a 71. Keyshawn Banks, 73. Benny Sapp, 75, Shamar Jean Charles, 75, and then Eric Wilson with a 79. Tackling, fortunately, pretty much everybody had a good grade. 19 different players. Uh, Kingsley was 69.9. We'll call it 19 players. Moultrie with a 68. That's good. TJ Slayton, 67. Kenny Clark, 67. All good. But three players did not. Brenton Cox, 28. Justin Hollins, 25. Aaron Mosby, 25. Pass rush, we had five good grades. Keyshawn Banks, 72. Jonathan Ford, 76. Kingsley, again, with a 77. Lucas Van Ness, 83. Brenton Cox, 84. And then coverage grades, we had six good grades. Benny Sapp with a 70. Quay with a 78. I love to see that so much. Marvin Pierre, 79. Carrington Valentine with an 80. Really love that. Corey Valentine, 83, which is solid. And then Tyrell Ford with his 90. The negative grades, Razul 51, Levitt 51, Tariq 50, Innis Gaines 44, Elijah Hamilton 38. Looking at the stats, we had one pressure from Kenny Clark, Aaron Mosby, TJ Slayton, and Keyshawn Banks. We had two pressures from Jonathan Ford, Carl Brooks, and Colby Wooden, and three from Brenton Cox. So just the f- <laughs> just look at that. The uh the top three here. Carl Brooks, Kobe Wood, and Brenton Cox, all rookies. That's crazy. TJ Slayton only had three um, 
pressure attempts on the entire day, which so <laughs> he he had the earlier week one game where he had two pressures on four attempts. Now he has one on three attempts. He has a grand total of three pressures on 14 attempts. Not too shabby. Yes, I stand by my take that he will not be a pass rusher, but that's pretty fantastic. I'm not going to lie. If he wants to prove me wrong, I guess go ahead and do it. And then finally, looking at uh, coverage for the defense, Tariq Carpenter was the most targeted. Uh, six targets, four receptions, 29 yards, but he did have a pass breakup, so that's cool. Four targets, four receptions for Isaiah McDuffie for 13 yards. Tyrell Ford, three targets, zero receptions, and a pass breakup. Jimmy Phillips, three targets, three receptions, 39 yards. Carrington Valentine, three targets, two receptions, nine yards, and a pass breakup. William Hooper, two targets, one reception, 11 yards. Dallin Levitt, 216. Innis Gaines, 2118. Elijah Hamilton, two targets, two receptions, 63 yards. That was the most by a pretty good margin. Marvin Pierre, 111. One target, one reception, one yard. Corey Valentine, 10. Keandre Thomas, 1-1 for 6 yards, and then Razul Douglas, 1-1 for 10 yards. And that is it. The highest passer rating was Innis Gaines, 120.8 when targeted. The lowest, Ballantyne, 39.6 when targeted. And then on special teams, we just had one good player, and that's Dallin Levitt. He definitely needed that. The bad players, Keandre Thomas, 53, Tariq, 52, and then a big drop-off, McDuffie, 37, Innis Gaines, 35, and Tucker Craft, 29. Not like we're depending on him necessarily, but you'd love to see Tucker excel at something. If, if, if the only thing that came out of this year is that we're working on him as a tight end on the offense, but man, he's a heck of a special teams player, I would, I would accept that. Being the worst special teams player on the team, not my favorite thing. <laughs> not going to lie. But um, anyways, that's about it. Again, I, I, I don't think there's going to be any news, any cuts or anything happening anytime in the near future. I'm guessing the... Uh, the uncertain nature of it means there could be some urgent things that come up, presumably even things like trades in which we would need to make a cut. But um, there isn't any expectation, so we may not have any news about that for a while. But we'll keep plugging along. Again, we got to track the 53 as well as the practice squad. We also got to sort of start shifting into Chicago Bears mode. We got a couple weeks to plan for that, and really just start to look at the regular season in general. You know, we've been we've been in off season mode, and that kind of has a certain tone to it and conversation to it, which is different than the regular season, which I think the, the biggest question is, what does that even look like? So that's what we're going to dip our toe into a little bit. Anyways, you guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.